Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. kind of just want to spend a little bit of time, and Jake is going to flip through my slides. When I give him the gigum sign, he's going to flip them. <laughs> um, but tonight, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of my background, a little of my testimony, and then how that ties into the grass being greener on the other side. That's kind of a, I guess, a saying we've heard all our lives. It's almost, we don't really think about it ourselves, but we just often think the grass will be greener, or life will be better when, or if I only can get that good grade, or date that girl, or be that person, then I'll be okay. Um, And I want to spend just a little bit before we talk about uh, kind of what the Word says about it, how I've seen that play out in my own life. So a little bit of story of me. actually went to Bushland. Um, That's where Maddie is from, Jake's from, Candy's from, and I was one year, I believe, uh, older than Tanner, um, Candy's oldest son. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Bushland is a 2A school. What that means is if you don't play sports, then it's hard for you to make friends because all the people who play sports are everyone who goes to the school. Um, So I did football, track, and, um, and basketball. In regards to football specifically, Early in my freshman year of high school, my coach approached me and gave me one of these generic recruiting letters. It had my name just because it was stamped on there, but there was nothing specific to me. But my freshman year of college, he told me, Andrew, I think you could play college football. Well, it was a new high school in a 2A town, um, but he still said he thought I could do that. So from that point on, I thought, if only I can get a scholarship. Didn't have to be D1, but if only I could play football in college you know, then, then it would be okay. So I dedicated myself pretty hard in high school to play football in college. Not only did I go to practice um, and lift weights, but I went up and ran on my own time. I lifted weights on my own time. And then my wife kind of is embarrassed for me to tell this story, but I tried to put on weight so much that I would take a half gallon of Bluebell ice cream every workout, and I would blend that into two giant milkshakes. And I would eat that with every dinner after every workout to try to put on weight. I was dedicated. You might think, oh, milkshakes, that's fun. It was not fun. I almost threw up every time, but I gained weight. I didn't have a six pack, but I gained weight nonetheless. But then I went on from there to my dad and I spent hours and hours putting highlights tapes together and sending it out over the country. No one heard of Bushland, so I had to travel around to get my name out there. I went to these national underclassmen camps to try to rub shoulders against some of the best in high school so that way maybe they could see that maybe I had merit to play at the next level. I started getting some actually early offers um, early in my junior year, and then I started going to specific camps I was interested in, such as Oklahoma State and TCU and so on, and I actually committed on a full scholarship to Oklahoma State before my senior year. So this thing that I sought out for two years now, I thought if only I can be a college football player, if only I can get my school paid for, then I'll be content, then I'll be happy. Well, guess what? I went to Oklahoma State, and do you think I was satisfied having a scholarship? No. What I have learned and what you'll see a theme is constantly, when we get to the other side, you'll see there's something on the other side, another fence that says, if you can only get here, then you'll be happy. Quickly, I thought, if only I can start. If only I can make it to the NFL, then I'll be happy. Well, I was off to a good start. Actually, Russell Okun, he plays for the um, Chargers now, but he was the fifth overall pick my freshman year of college. 
He was a left tackle, and he asked me to go up against him every day in practice. This was a mammoth of a man, so much better than I was, but he saw how hard I worked, and he thought I made him better. So as this 18-year-old kid, he asked me to go up against him every day in practice, and I thought I had a chance. Um, unfortunately, I had a lot of injuries. I had back surgery my freshman year, um, other little in injuries like surgery on this crooked finger and different stuff, but accumulated with a concussion that if you're bored, type in Andrew Hudson hit on YouTube. There's just over a million views of me getting knocked out. Um, not how you want to be remembered, but uh, we were playing against Nebraska. I was light from a back surgery, and I was running down the field, and I got hit from the side. I ended up having to drop out of school. I lost my memory for six weeks. Um, it was one of those moments where I thought getting a scholarship would satisfy me, and it didn't. And then I thought, if only I can do this, and it would satisfy me, and I never was able to. But it's not just football, track in high school. Um, I remember my sophomore year, uh, one of the track coaches told me, Andrew, I think you'd be good at discus. For those of you who don't know, they're the track athletes who run, and then they are the bigger people who walk and get their instruments. I was one of those. So the discus is like a heavy frisbee. Um, you see it almost in the Olympics, you know, the guys wind up and throw it. Well, my sophomore year, I tried to do that, and I was awful, so much so that the guys older than me would make fun of me. They said, Hudson, why are you even out here? You are terrible. Just go home. So I did. I practiced, but then I went and bought my own discus, and I went home and practiced and practiced. And my sophomore year, I was awful. I didn't make it out of district. But the next year, I was second in the state. And then I thought, if only I could be good at discus, then I'd be happy. And I was second in state. But then I thought, if only I could break the state record. And then I didn't end up doing it my senior year. Well, fast forward, when I got hurt in football and I couldn't do that anymore, I switched to track and actually accepted a scholarship at Abilene Christian for track and field. I thought, if only I could become an All-American, and I did. Um, my first year at Abilene Christian, I became an All-American in track and field. And then I thought, if only I can go to the Olympic trials, then it'll satisfy me. Well, I ended up hurting my back again and having to have a second back surgery. I never ended up being the thrower that I was before that again. But once again, it was that common theme of, I think if I only am good at track, if I get to state, if I get that state record, if I become an All-American, if I go to the Olympic trials, but there was always something on the other side. It kept over-promising and under-delivering. And don't get me started on girls. Throughout, I mean, as long as I can remember, I thought if I only had a girlfriend, man, because I was so lonely, I thought if only I have a girlfriend, then I'll be happy. And then we would date, either I would dump her or she would dump me, or I would be with her and thought, she's not this other girl, and it just never satisfied. I just <laughs> never was satisfied. Everything that I thought would satisfy me didn't. And then when I got hurt in football, and I couldn't play football anymore, my, um, and then I got hurt in track, I thought, what am I gonna do with my life? Now I met Peyton, who I wanted to marry and support, and I didn't know what I'd do. So I decided to go to medical school. But guess what, I was your typical jock before then. Everyone in high school thought I was dumb, I thought I was dumb, I worked really hard to build three years of poor grades. So my senior year, when I decided to go to med school, I dug a hole, and I put this pressure on myself that I have to be perfect in order to get to medical school. But once again, it was that thought, if, if only I can get to medical school, then I'll be satisfied. So I said, if only I get an A on this test, then I'll do it. And then I would get an A, and then only if I get an A on the next one. And then eventually, only if I get all A's from here on out. And I did. And then I got into medical school, but when I got to medical school, do you think I was happy just being in medical school? No, there was something on the other side. Then I went to go into dermatology. 
And kind of like what Jake wants to do, he wants to go to orthopedic surgery, both dermatology and orthopedic surgery are some of the most competitive ones to get into. So in medical school, I put that pressure on myself once again, if only I can get an A in this class, if only I can be at the top of my class. And I ended up getting through all of medical school with a 4.0, I graduated at the top of my class, and at graduation, there's three awards that they give out, and I won two of them. And one of them is the biggest award that you can have in medical school. And I remember with my wife, and it was such a sweet moment, and she was happier than I was, just because she's so supportive, and she's crying, and my son was there, my family, and it was such a sweet moment. But within an hour and a half, that season of my life was behind me. I was done with medical school, something I'd worked six years to get to. And I remember distinctly driving this long, boring road from Lubbock, where I was going to medical school, to Dallas, where I was living then, and I was on the way, and I just looked at my wife, and I just thought, I'm at the top of what I wanted to do. You couldn't get any higher than what I did. And I just felt empty. It wasn't that I didn't think that I made med school my God, but there was just, there's something when you set these goals and you achieve them and you realize that this doesn't do it for me. It was awesome, it's great, it's gonna provide a great life for my family, I love taking care of patients, but it just doesn't satisfy. So that's kind of what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. I think we all have different things where we say, if this, if we get there, this will satisfy. And I wanna see what the word says about it, because I think Christians and non-Christians are alike, and this is something we continually do. And if we don't look, we're gonna waste our whole life looking on the other side. So we're going to have a couple different points and a couple different verses. Um, the first point is our heart and soul long for eternal things because we are made in the image of an eternal God. So Genesis 1.27, it says God created mankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them. So that right there lets you know um, if an eternal God created us in his likeness, do you think that we will be satisfied by something he wouldn't be satisfied by? I mean, we are not God, but imagine God. Imagine if he was, I mean, maybe Jesus. Imagine him, because he was fully God. Do you think he would be satisfied with a good grade on a test, or dating whoever, or getting that job, or earning wealth? The things that we keep telling us, if only I had that, then I would be okay. It definitely wouldn't satisfy him. And even though we are not God, because we are made in his image, we cannot be satisfied by that either. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I love this verse because this ties it all together. It says, He set eternity into the hearts of men. How could we be like, satisfied by something temporary, something finite, if eternity was put in our hearts? When God created us from the beginning, He put forever in us. There is no way that here and now could fully satisfy us. Um, but why would he do that? Why would God put eternity in our hearts? So Exodus 34, 14. This is when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He said, do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Think about that. The God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, Almighty, that he is jealous of us, 
that he is jealous whenever I say, you know, football is going to satisfy me, or this girl is going to satisfy me, or if only I got this grade, or I made this much money so my wife didn't have to work, or if only I lived in this town instead of this one, or if I had this house. God is jealous. The creator of the world is jealous in those moments. He is jealous for you. I love that he chose to use the word jealous. I mean, yes, you could be jealous about someone's finances or someone's car, but I kind of see envy almost tying in there. When I think of jealous, I think of a relationship. I think of a boy who is underconfident and he is mad every time his girl is talking to another guy because he thinks maybe she's going to like somebody else. Or I think of even myself who gets mad anytime I see a guy talking too long to my girlfriend or my wife. That is jealous. No one wants to be jealous. Like that's something where even if we feel jealous when someone calls us that, we kind of push back. No, I'm not me. I'm not jealous. That's not me. You just need to tell him to back up. Like it's one of those things. Well, God says his name is jealous. He's not running from this. He says, I am jealous. You know, if I was dating a girl and I could supernaturally make it where she was never satisfied with anyone but me, that no matter who she dated, no matter who she talked to, no matter who was funnier than I was, that she was never satisfied, I would do that. You know why? Because I'm a jealous guy. And I wanted her to tell me I was great. I wanted her to tell me that I was handsome. I wanted her to want to spend time with me, to worship me, to realize that I was everything. Well, guys, Jesus, or God, being a jealous God, put eternity in your hearts so that supernaturally you could find satisfaction in nothing else but him. Because he wants, to tell you, he wants you to tell him that he's beautiful. He wants you to tell him he's mighty. He wants you to tell him he's great, that he satisfies, that there is no one else that can do what he does. That is why eternity is in our hearts, because God wants to draw you back to him. That was so encouraging for me to realize. Second point is Jesus is our source of satisfaction. So this is something we've all seen, but John 6.35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love that he chose to talk about hunger and thirst, because this is something we all relate to. Um, not only do we relate to it, but we are repeatedly hunger and thirsty throughout the day. And when we get that thirst quenched or that hunger curved, we think we're happy, but then soon enough we realize we're not. This is very true. I feel like there's people who handle hunger well, and then there's people who lose their minds when they're hungry. I'm a part of the lose their minds when they're hungry. I've been, yeah, it's the worst. Ever since I was little, before I could talk, when I was my son's age, my mom likes to tell stories how I would almost bruise my grandpa because when I was hungry and I couldn't talk, I would whack and hit and I'd be upset and then my mom would feed me and I was happy but then within a couple hours I'd do it again. I'd like to tell you I matured but now that I'm 28 years old I get so upset when I'm hungry and if it's a hundred dollar steak from the best steakhouse or a five dollar sausage egg biscuit from McDonald's both are good in their own right both of them in the moment make me feel like I'm satisfied this is all I need but within a couple hours I'm hungry again. Or thirst, because he says no one will ever be thirsty again. As a former athlete, and I do mean former, I remember running stadiums at Oklahoma State and being so thirsty that I could feel my dry tongue 
hitting against the dry roof of my mouth, and it just felt like, like there was death in my mouth. It just felt like there was a desert. Like I vividly remember after we finished a workout, going to the trough, they had these big tanks full of ice cold Gatorade, and I would grab several and I would waterboard myself until I was satisfied. And then I just sprawled and people thought, why did we give this guy a scholarship? And I just felt like I was fulfilled. But then within a couple hours, even if I didn't have another workout that day, I was thirsty again. Jesus says he will satisfy us. He compared it to hunger and thirst because like hunger and thirst, this world continually tells us, come to me, I'm going to satisfy you. You see it on any billboard, how women are dressed, how men are portrayed, um, the kind of cars people drive, what celebrities say are important, what our friends put forward, like the world is screaming to us, you're hungry, let me feed you, you're thirsty, I can take care of that. But it's just enough where it keeps us coming back for more, but it never satisfies. Jesus wants to be your satisfier. My next point is having a relationship with the satisfier doesn't prevent you from looking for satisfaction elsewhere. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's great, and that is true. I think it's um, probably evident in nobody's life more than uh, Paul the Apostle. He was Saul originally, and he went from killing Christians and persecuting them to being someone who was persecuted and eventually killed by them. And that was all because he became a new creation because of Jesus. However, even though we are a new creation, we are still in our old flesh. We are still, we still have the tendencies of our old creation. And unless, unless we are careful, we're going to continually search for satisfaction elsewhere, even if we know Jesus. Next slide. So how do we do that? How do we do what we're about to talk about here? How do we set our mind on things above while we still go about our life and while we are still pursuing success? So Colossians 3, 2 through 3 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, it's easy to see this and see, set your mind on things above, but how, how does that portray to us? How does that portray to me in residency? Or how does that portray to you guys in college? You guys may have an exam in, on Monday or in a week, or you may have a job opportunity or something. Like, how do you set your mind on things above when you have so many things on earth that are pulling at you? And what I kind of want to talk about a little bit is that having wealth is not wrong. Dating is not wrong. Pursuing a good job is not wrong. But whenever your hope, whenever you start to think that you're going to be satisfied in that, that is where sin comes in. That is where life is lost. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the last verse we saw about setting our mind on things above, it said set. It didn't say just maybe like put it down every once in a while. It was an intentional set your thoughts on things above. Here it says we take captive. That is a very aggressive um, way to tell you how to approach your thoughts. That while we go about our life, because God wants men and women to be successful, 
It's not, okay, we are Christians, so we take a back seat, and you guys go get the great jobs, and we're going to sit back here and pray to our God. No, the Lord wants us to be on the front line. Yes, some of us are called to do mission. Some of us are called to do different things. But as we are pursuing the things that we need to, we are called to take captive our thoughts and submit them to the Lord. As I went through kind of my athletic journey, if I would have been honest with myself, if I would have checked my heart, why are you pursuing a scholarship? Why do you want to be in the NFL? Why do you want to whatever it is? I think if I would have checked my heart, I would have saw, you know what? It was to glorify myself. There was something I realized, I wish I would have realized it earlier, but I like to be glorified. There is something in us that want to be told you're great, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're the best I've seen, whatever it is. We naturally want to take the glory from God. Actually, I started a Twitter account when I was in college, and I masked it with the, um, this delusion I had that I was trying to use it because I wanted to bring God followers. So I kind of like manipulated Twitter in order to gain a lot of followers, and I had like 50,000 followers, and I thought that I was hot stuff. Really, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I did it because I wanted people to see my account and to see, wow, Andrew's so great. People are following him. Someone wants to hear what he has to say. But eventually I got to the point where I realized this is sin. This is not okay. That If I would have taken my thought captive, I would have realized I'm seeking satisfaction in something when really it is not God. I ended up giving that account over to someone I knew who could handle it in a way that brought God the glory. But it was just another example of how I continually have to take my thoughts captive. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. It is a good reminder for us that this is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven, that once you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we get to go to heaven. This is not our home. Um, no, no, don't switch yet. But I also like that it says, eagerly await a Savior. Um, I think a way to put legs on this thought is something I've seen over the past six months. So my wife was the breadwinner while I went through medical school. She was a kindergarten teacher. And then the past six months, she's been a stay-at-home mom, as I am now in residency. And my wife does a great job eagerly awaiting for me to get home every day. Um, she doesn't stop what she's doing. She's still involved in a lot of ministry. She still exercises. She meets with other women. She accomplishes a lot during the day. But in the back of her mind, she thinks, when is Andrew going to get home? I know Andrew's going to get home. About 2 o'clock every day, I can expect the text and the calls where she's starting to say, you know, what time do you think you're going to get home today? And she starts sending me pictures of Lincoln, somehow trying to convince me that he's wanting me home, even though I don't really know sometimes if he knows who I am. But <laughs> she just eagerly awaits my return. And then often as I'm pulling onto my street, in the distance, on several occasions, I see my wife and my son waiting at the curb on the street as I pull in. And as her husband and as his dad, it just... It just makes me feel loved. It makes me feel sought after. It makes me feel like not that anything she did was not important, but that she eagerly awaited for me to come home. Guys, we are supposed to eagerly await our Savior. If we are constantly thinking 
that football or basketball or a job or money or a spouse or whatever it is is going to satisfy you, you're not going to eagerly await your Savior. It doesn't mean you can't want those things or shoot for those things, but you will miss out on the opportunity to wait well. I do want to just spend a moment to talk about who is the Savior. I mean, you guys gave up a weekend in college to come to a Christian retreat. I know you guys all know about Jesus, but I would be hard-pressed to talk about anything that has an appearance of life without talking about Jesus. So let's talk about that just for a second. First, it all started with Adam and Eve in the garden. You're thinking, well, how long is this going to talk? You're going to the beginning. Um, (laughs) Adam and Eve had it made. Let's look at it. They had the best food. Maybe they didn't have pizza, but I guarantee you the fruit was pretty awesome. I don't know about vegetables, but they had that there. Um, They didn't work, so they didn't have to labor or toil. They weren't lonely. Adam had Eve, and Eve had Adam. And not only that, but they walked with God. The one person who we see constantly says, he will satisfy us. They walked with him. But what happened? Their sinful nature, their, their desire told them something else would be better than everything they had. Well, guys, let's look at what they had. They were retired. They didn't work. They were not lonely. They had a spouse. They walked with God. Their, their, their spiritual lives were intact. They had the best food. Like, forget any house on MTV Cribs. The Garden of Eden was immaculate. There was nothing they had that we will ever be able to fully obtain. But it wasn't enough for them. They thought something else could satisfy them. And then they sinned. They chose their own earthly desires over what God had, what God knew was best. And from that point on, the human race was forever separated from God. And that was until Jesus came. So, In order for a perfect God to be satisfied, he had to have a perfect sacrifice atone for imperfection. And imperfection was our sin. It was what I've been talking about this whole time. It's what men, as we're going to talk about some real stuff in a little bit with purity, about some of the stuff in my past, like a perfect God had to give Jesus a perfect sacrifice to cover for my sin and for your sin. So Jesus, we know his stats. He came from heaven. He was fully God, but he came to earth to die. And it wasn't that he was like perfect because he was God. He was perfect even though he suffered the same temptations we did. It says that there was no temptation known to man that he didn't undergo, that he didn't fight, that he didn't have victory over. And part of that is because he wanted us to know that if we have faith in him, we can have victory. It's not like he's not um, familiar with what we're going through. He went through it. But not only that, he ended up dying. And he didn't just die, but three days later he rose again, spent time with the disciples, trained them to go on their ministry and start the early church, and now he is reigning in heaven. That is the gospel. But guys, I want to be very clear. Knowing facts about Jesus does not give you satisfaction. It does not give you any power over sin. You see, I kind of think about facts, and my wife's heard me say this at um, a different event I talked at, but I think about LeBron. He started in Cleveland. I know a lot of things about him. He never got a championship there, formed a little super team with Bosch and Wade in Miami, got a couple rings. It was starting to fall apart, said, I'm going to go back home, got a championship in Cleveland, ended up leaving there. Now he's with the Lakers. He's got a wife. He's got several kids. He started an I Promise school to give back. 
I know a lot of things about LeBron James, but I promise if LeBron somehow walked in this door, he wouldn't know me from Adam that I talked about earlier. And me knowing him doesn't give me any satisfaction. Yes, I like to follow his, you know, his stats, but I don't know LeBron. Guys, in America, where it's so easy to say you know Jesus, but it is so hard to really follow him. I am scared that a lot of people that you're going to school with, maybe some in here, know facts about Jesus, like I know facts about LeBron, but you don't experience satisfaction and you don't experience freedom from your sin because you don't know the satisfier. Guys, we're all at different, probably, walks of our faith. Some maybe are wrestling with it. Some maybe are ready to talk up here, too. Um, I just encourage you, as we're kind of talking, as you're going throughout this weekend, wrestle with that a little bit. Um, I don't want to convince you that you are not saved, because I think that's awful. There are whole books in the Bible that are dedicated to reassure believers that their salvation is secure. But I also don't want to miss the opportunity to be real and to be frank and blunt with you guys. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't realize I'm messed up, I am imperfect, I am in need of saving, and if you don't submit your life to Christ, guys, you will never be satisfied. My last point is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but everything minus Jesus equals nothing. So Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Um, Proverbs is awesome. Actually, one of uh, the pastor, Todd Wagner, at our church at Watermark in Dallas, he told us that there was not a book that impacted his life more than the book of Proverbs. It's hard to go through because it's not one of those where you just check the box before you go to bed, that almost every verse there is so much to unpack that challenges you that it, it takes you to really chew on it. But Proverbs is riddled with verses like this that says it is better to have Jesus and nothing at all than to have everything without Jesus. Because constantly we see these people who are making great money or it seems to be successful and they don't know God and we think, Lord, why are they being blessed? Why are they getting this? And there's something in us that thinks, Lord, I'm honoring you. I'm following you. Shouldn't I have that? But guys, they are missing it. It is better to have little or none at all, but to know Jesus, the satisfier, than to have everything else and be continually searching for satisfaction. This is a long one, so stay with me. But this is my hope and my prayer for you guys. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. So this is Paul. This is the guy I told you earlier who... His life is different because of Jesus. He used to kill Christians and then he was killed by them. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Guys, that right there, this last verse, is probably the most misquoted verse in the whole Bible, especially by athletes. We like to put it under our eye black. We like right before we go out on the field to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And really what you're saying is, God's going to help me with this victory because I'm a Christian. Because that is misquoting this. That is not what the Bible says. That's, sometimes we may say it before a test. Like, I can get an A on this test or I can get this job because 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, guys, that is not that big of an ask. Like, if you think the creator of the world couldn't help you win a football game, I think that you are selling him short. If you think the creator of the world couldn't help you get a job or get an A, if that was in his plan, then I think you need to get a different God. Um, that is obvious. Obviously, he could do that. But that is not what this is saying. This is saying, I can lose a football game and be content because I have Jesus. This is saying, I can never make a dollar but be content because I have Jesus. This is saying, I can never get that dream job. I can never get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I can never find what my heart keeps telling me I think I need because I have Jesus. Guys, Paul says the secret of being content, regardless if he's hungry or fulfilled, whether he's broke or rich, whether whatever it is, sickness or in health, the secret is Jesus. Ecclesiastes 1.14, it says, I have seen all things that are under the sun. All of them are meaningless. They are chasing after the wind. Because you can't catch the wind, just like you can't catch satisfaction apart from Jesus. And if you can imagine someone running, trying to catch the wind down the street, you would think they need to be locked up. You would think they need to go see a psychiatrist. Maybe we'll send them to Andrew. Like, whatever it is, you would think that is so foolish. But yet we do the same thing. Football, sports, money, girls, boys, careers, life. Guys, before you know it, you're going to spend your whole life chasing after the wind, and then you're going to be at the end of life. And in residency, I've seen a lot of end of life. I've seen a lot of death. And before you know it, you're going to be there. And then you're going to realize, I chased after the wind. Guys, it even happens with relationships. I know we think if we only had a boyfriend, well, if we were only married, if we only had kids, well, guess what? Then you think if they were only out of the house, like it never stops. There will always be something that makes you think, I will be satisfied when. So guys, whether on this side you're thinking it's grades or career or money or relationship or whatever it is, we seem to always be on this side looking over here thinking this will satisfy us. But guys, I promise you, it won't. Jesus is the only thing that is the secret to satisfaction regardless. Guys, I am not promising you that you're going to have everything in this life. I'm not promising you that anyone's going to want your life. But I can promise you, if you can learn what Paul learned, and I haven't learned it yet, I'm still wrestling with this. Even in residency, I find the, my natural inclination is to think, if I only can do this, then I'll be happy. But it is about setting your thoughts on things above. It is about taking your thoughts captive. It is about being strategic and not waiting for life to pass you by, but realizing, okay, I have seen that this is not only a problem for me, not only a problem for Andrew, but it's all throughout Scripture. This is not uncommon. But we can have victory in these areas and find satisfaction that far exceeds our circumstances in Jesus. This is a time to be reminded of what's important and then for you to go back to your own campuses and be that light and show people where satisfaction truly is. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.